This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the 200th episode of the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast aired in Melbourne on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This podcast is also available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app and also at warfradio.com or just Google search Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. As I mentioned, this is the 200th episode, and we've got a very special guest coming up in a few minutes' time, Lynn Smith, the pioneer of Victorian women's football. She was the one who put the ad in the paper in 1979 that saw the ball start rolling to the eventual formation of the Victorian Women's Football League in 1981. But first, the latest women's footy news. Since we didn't have a normal episode last week, we've got two weeks of news to cover. First of all, back in late June, Nicole Livingston, head of women's footy at the AFL, has confirmed that the 2021 AFLW season will go as planned in the CBA with no reductions or cuts to the length of the season. Here is Nicole talking on RSN 927's The Breakfast Club. So nine home and aways. We didn't quite get there this year. We got to six of the eight that were uh, supposed to take place. So... Next year, uh, it was an extra week and a half. So they get an extra half week of training to nine and a half weeks. And then into uh, nine home and away and three finals. So, um, you know, and then in uh, 2022, it goes to an extra week of home and away. So, again, we can't crystal ball what everything looks like in the future. And 2020 has certainly shown us that. But um, what it does do is allow us also as an organisation to move forward and plan and fixture and and do everything that we need to do for season 2021. Continuing with AFLW news and the Fremantle Football Club held their best and fairest awards last Friday night with midfielder Kiara Bowers taking out her second club champion award in as many years, polling 129 votes with Ebony Antonio and Hayley Miller rounding out the top three. And last week saw bad news for grassroots women's footy in Victoria with a complete wipeout of senior women's football in metropolitan Melbourne for 2020. Coronavirus had claimed the Eastern, Northern, Essendon and Western Region Football Leagues in the past few weeks. And last week, the VAFA and Southern Football Netball Leagues also confirmed that their senior women's competitions would not go ahead due to concerns around the coronavirus. Here is VAFA CEO Brett Connell speaking on RSN 927. It was one we went into knowing, I think on the 20th of June, we're all pretty fired up and we're going to have a meeting on the 22nd. And it looked pretty positive and then obviously some... um Geographical lockdowns have been enforced more recently, which affects a number of our clubs particularly, and um, it, it, it just it was going to compromise our season way too much. There's plenty of other factors, but I'm certain that was the tipping point for our board. Again, these announcements were made before Tuesday the 7th of July when Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews announced that Metropolitan Melbourne and the Mitchell Shire would be going into Stage 3 lockdown for at least six weeks due to a spike in coronavirus cases. This means no community contact sport for six weeks, throwing into doubt the VFLW Exhibition Series, which was scheduled to take place in September. 
Before we interview our featured guest for this week, we're going to do a quick score and fixture check out of the South Australian and Queensland State League women's competitions. Now, normally, through a normal season without coronavirus, we'd have reporters uh, dialing in from SA and Queensland giving us the latest. But due to personal circumstances for both of the reporters, they're unable to join us. We do hope that Alison Schiller will be able to join us next week to give us a lowdown what's happening in the Sandfall W competition. And we hope to be catching up with players and coaches from both those competitions throughout the coming weeks as their seasons uh, continue to roll on. For the Sandfall W, two rounds have gone by since uh, we last uh, spoke with Georgia Bevan uh, just two weeks ago in episode 199. Uh, back in round five, Norwood 7-10-52 defeated Central District 3-6-24. North Adelaide 12-11-83 defeated Sturt 1 straight 6. West Adelaide 4-3-27 defeated Woodville West Torrens 1-4-10. And Glenelg 5-3-33 went down to South Adelaide 7-6-48. This weekend just gone was round six out of the 10 round competition. Norwood 4-10-34 defeated Woodville West Torrens 4-3-27. South Adelaide 5-6-36 winners over Central District 3-2-20. West Adelaide 6-7-43 defeated Sturt 1-3-9. And Glenelg 4-1-25 went down to North Adelaide 6-7-43. Round seven action in the Sanford Women's Competition is this weekend. All games being played on Saturday. It's West Adelaide and South Adelaide at Hisense Stadium at uh, Kia Oval Sturt versus Glenelg. Also at Kia Oval Woodville West Torrens versus Central District and at Prospect Oval North Adelaide versus Norwood. Now the Bond University QAFLW competition recommences this Saturday. All games July 11th, 1pm at Exum Oval. Cullingatta Tweed play host to Bond University. 2.45 at Leishon Park. Yeronga South Brisbane versus the UQ Red Lions. 4pm at Graham Road. Apsley Hornets versus Cooperoo. And at 4.45pm in the Twilight Game, Maroochydore versus Wilston Grange. And now joining us on the 200th episode of the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast right here on RSN Carnival. Keeping up with our theme of the 100th episode when we talk to the founders of women's footy leagues in South Australia, WA and New South Wales. We now come back to the home state for our 200th episode, Victoria. A woman who put an ad in a paper in 1979. Without that ad, we would not have the VWFL and by extension we would not have AFL women's football today. It is our great honour to have on the line Lynn Smith. Lynn, how are you? Oh, after that, I feel a bit overcome. Pete, very emotional. Um, do I deserve that? It's very nice of you to say so. Um, yeah, a little bit um, oh, cracking up here. <laughs> it's just so nice of you. What a lovely introduction. Well, yes, Pete. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, really good, actually. Really good. And thank you for arranging this interview. Really, really, really appreciate it. We'll go through in a moment's time uh, the early days of the VWFL and your involvement, plus latter day with your involvement in the AFL Women's Masters competition. But I want to jump in the time machine. I want to go... Way back, we're going back a good 60 years. 
going back to the... And the rest. <laughs> <laughs> the Not loose... much more at, to be added on to the 60, but we'll leave it at that. Who's counting anyway? The, the loose change, <laughs> we'll call it. Um, <laughs> can, I'll go with that. <laughs> can, can you tell us All about right. growing up in the, in the 50s and 60s in, in suburban Melbourne, being a young girl, going to school and the desire to play sport back then? Well, it was actually not suburban Melbourne peak back then because Melbourne to me, as a country girl in Bacchus Marsh, which was country back then, gosh, Melbourne, gosh, that was just another world where, you know, everything happened, but nothing very much happened in Bacchus Marsh when I was growing up as a young child. And in the 50s, being born in, <clears throat> can I say, um, 1953, we'll skip over that. Um, it was it was a marvellous childhood. Um you know, it's just too much to go into. I'd be here forever. Um, loved the childhood. Uh, got into sports at a very young age, um, simply because nothing much else went on in Bacchus Marsh. And um, my mother, for all her in all her wisdom, and she must have known, <laughs> um, I was I was hardly ever allowed out to you know do what the young kids were doing at the time. If there was such things going on, like the brownies or kids' parties or whatever. Um, so with my mum having that attitude and, of course, didn't mind at all because it was a blessing in disguise, it gave me a chance to, you know, being confined at home, getting into the old sports on the radio. Um, that's all we had back then, the, the radio broadcasts, whether it was footy, cricket, tennis. And then later on, when we got the, um, gosh, the black and white TV, gee, <laughs> that was an achievement um, in the early 60s that um, those sport, following those sports extended to watching various uh, matches and contests and, you know, loads of sports on TV in the old black and white, even down to the golf, <laughs> would you believe? Um, there was nothing else, Pete, nothing else going on and I, I absolutely absorbed it, loved it, read everything about it, just collected um, magazine articles, posters or whatever that was going, especially for my team. <coughs> can I mention Carlton? <laughs> yes, you can. You can. As an Essendon supporter, I shall forgive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, going back to the early 60s and um, how I got to follow um, lots of sports, um, it was it was virtually my life, you know, as a six-, seven-year-old, eight-year-old growing up from those years onward. Um, my dad barracked for Carlton, my mum barracked for Carlton, and a, a lot of the talk with the with my parents was was all about wanting to you know find out things of who, who what does this mean what does what does silly mid on mean in cricket and what's the googly mean in cricket and you know picking these things up off the radio commentaries uh, during the summer um, just just getting wanting to get into it and just uh, feeling that passion and and love. Uh, way back when. So that was uh, what the 50s and the early 60s represented to me, Pete, not being allowed to go out uh, after school or at weekends. Um, I never knew any different. And when I did go out on a very rare occasion, well, that was enjoyable, but it was always that yearning to get back home and collect the scrapbooks and, you know, glue them in the old glitty articles about Carlton and the old VFL and just uh, read everything in the old Sun newspaper back then and the Herald and just all done in black and white like the TV, everything black and white. 
So it was a good grounding as far as I'm concerned, Pete. I knew no other way living in the country back then. As I said, Melbourne was just another world. And it was uh, later on, many, many years later, that um, you know I was able to make my first trip to Melbourne, to the big smoke. But growing up back in the 50s and uh, 60s, uh, it was just sports. Nothing to do with, uh, had no inclination or um, passion for music like a lot of the other kids at school, especially the young girls, you know, in my primary school years, high school years, just not interested in music. It was only later on um, that I did get into rock and roll, but that's another story in itself for a few years down the track. Um, but back then, it was just all sports, especially football, Carlton, just breathed it, ate it, devoured it, just no other life, really. <laughs> as, as basic as the explanation is, just no other life for, for this young girl uh, back then, Pete. Um, very, very uh, basic, I suppose, Um but no, just absolutely adored it, and I really thank my mum um, for having the wisdom to. She didn't trust me to go out, <laughs> so I've been confined to home and just taking in all of those sports um, didn't do me any harm, Pete. So I think that's where it, the uh, seeds were established, I would say. Um, and to this very day, I still love a lot of those sports. I'm sorry, but the golf did go by the wayside um, it was only because um, as I said nothing else to do and whenever any sport came on on TV whether it was golf or wrestling or roller derby football, cricket, tennis yep I was there I was there right amongst it um, so yeah that would um, just about take care of the, the old childhood apart from school of course you know <laughs> I did manage to go to school and um yeah, I found my contemporaries weren't so, especially the uh, the young girls weren't that, that interested. They were more interested in what was going on at the time, especially to a couple of those bands. You may have heard of them, and I wonder whatever happened to them. The Beatles and the Rolling Stones, uh, you may have heard of them. But as for myself, nah, nope, pass on that. Just was not interested. And um, so it... it, it this story about uh, loving sports takes me up to 70s, the 70s. Am I jumping too far ahead here, Pete? Well, I'll, I'll pause for one moment and okay. I'll say that right. in, in, okay. in the year 2020, we mm-hmm. look at Bacchus Marsh now as almost attached to Melbourne <laughs> and being a being suburb of Melbourne. But as we go back to the, the 50s and 60s, a very mm-hmm. small country town, Bacchus Marsh, you would have to take the Derm, a one-car rail motor from Spencer Street, a long one-hour journey winding through the hills to get there to Bacchus Marsh. Because it's like a country town, oh, country please. sport back oh. in the day was typically the boys play football, the girls play True. netball. And I remember during summer, for example, when I was in primary school, late 80s, early 90s, was a case of the boys played cricket and the girls played softball. What yes. was what was the sporting options for you then as a young woman going through primary and high school back in Bacchus Marsh? Oh, before I go into that, Pete, another little tear in my eye. You, you brought the um, memories back again about the old rail motor up through the hills, down through the marsh from the old Spencer Street. Oh, I love it. Oh, and you working for Metro Trains, I guess you would know the history. Um, and, yeah, you, no, it's another emotional reminder of um, some lovely experiences on those old rail motors, Pete. But, um, no, uh, you're right, it's... Um, 
going back to the 60s um, at school, it was basketball, Pete, which it was called back then. It wasn't called netball back in my day when we played at school. And yes, so I did play for a team um, for what it was worth at uh, St. Bernard's Primary School, old Catholic school there in Bacchus Marsh, um, called the Student Stripes. And we played every Saturday in a competitive league. Um, but uh, it was just the old uh, net basketball back then. And I guess the name changed years later to netball. And you're right, it was the boys playing football and the girls playing basketball uh, or hockey. So we had a choice that um, later on, at high school, um, the girls could play hockey. Wow, gosh, gee. <laughs> but no such thing as football for girls, of course. Back in the 60s, um, when I was going to primary school and then high school, no such thing, of course, as football. Um, it was just, uh, but I was happy enough. I, I just accepted that, just no, knew no other way of the world. I could have some um, kicks with my brothers at home. Or gosh, if we were allowed out into the street beyond the gate <laughs> in Bacchus Marsh, I'd had a couple of kicks with the boys on many occasions. And um, yeah, things might have got a bit rough, but that's all I knew. Just having four brothers, it was, um, it, was it, it was the way to go. I uh, just knew no other way. And later on, I was able to play for the Carlton Cheer Squad when I did join the Carlton Cheer Squad. Um, and I was able to, gosh, get out on a day trip and go to Melbourne, <laughs> um, go and see, watch Carlton. And uh, we had this sort of a mini sort of unofficial competition between other cheer squads um, with the men, of, with the boys, the men, and the girls and the women played each other. And that was a lot of fun. I'm not sure if they do that now with the cheer squads, but yeah, that was good fun, Pete. But Getting back to your original point, you're right about the um, just knowing no other way of the boys played footy, the men played footy, uh, the girls did follow the men playing footy, or some of them anyway, um, and we, you know, just happy to play uh, netball or basketball then in the winter and in summer, tennis or cricket for me later on, women's cricket, and that was another story, that's another story. Um, yeah, so... The uh, interest was always there of wanting to play, but I just accepted that I could never play for Carlton. Um, so, okay, Dad said, sorry, you won't be able to play for Carlton. Um, hard at first to understand that uh, when you see all the men playing and you just, oh, why, you know, but, oh, I suppose it was acceptance later on and well, that's the way it is. So I just kept following Carlton, couldn't play for them. Uh, a women's league was just, nah, not on the radar, was it? Nah, nobody ever talked about it. And it was just like, <laughs> it was just like living on Mars, I suppose. You suggesting a women's league back in the 60s, early 70s? Um, no, it just wasn't a goer. I'll pick so up, it was just acceptance. I'll Sorry, pick, Pete. I'll pick up two things in that timeline around the 60s and sure. 70s. Uh, sure. Prior to the 60s and 70s, there was the occasional, I guess you'd dub it, women's football charity match, which of a record crowd that was held in Adelaide. Of course, that famous game in 1915 in WA. There's vision of games being played at Lakeside Oval between the Swans and Carlton. As you mentioned, the cheer squad games, in fact, you would have missed by just only six or seven years, Susan Alberti, who we had on our program, who mentioned she played for the Bulldogs cheer squad team. 
But you mentioned the 60s and 70s, a lot of change uh-huh. in the world and in Australia. We talk about 69, the summer of love, into early 70s when it comes to music, the Sunbury Rock Festival, Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs, who can forget that? And also... Uh-huh. Pass on that, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and also a change it came to political attitude because after 20-odd years of conservative rule, the Whitlam government came in and a lot of changes there as well, including for that generation, your generation, Mm-hmm. Free university. True. That's right, Pete. Yeah, you're right. Um, just going back to those women's exhibition matches, gosh, you're, you're just right on the ball, Pete. You're just um, one step ahead there of me. And um, I know about a few of those women's matches um, through reading about them and hearing about them from other people and so on and your, your knowledge of them additionally. Thanks for that. But no, I was unaware back in the 50s of those ones that you mentioned, of course. And not only uh, was I too young, but um, <clears throat> living in a place like Bacchus Marsh, as I said, you kind of felt nothing really happened. And that was another world. You know, Adelaide was another world. But um, no, it's good to know that history now, Pete, to look back on it and with pride. But yes, um, going forward now up to the Whitlam era, as you mentioned, um, yes, well, that was, we're talking, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you, you, you weren't even born, Pete, but 73 before he was elected as the Prime Minister, it's time, do you, do you know about that it's slogan, Pete? It's time for freedom, <laughs> it's time, yeah. <laughs> well, not only do you know it, you know the words, you just, you sure you weren't born before 1981, come on. I'm keeping it quiet. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I know you must have had all these previous lives, yeah. you know, with all the interest in the women's yeah. football, which I absolutely love and respect you for. And um, really, you, you've got so, so much knowledge in you, statistical knowledge. And uh, look, gosh, you know, respect to you, Pete. But yeah, um, just briefly mentioning that uh, 1973, it was also a Geelong. <laughs> used to go down on the old trains. Uh, you've been a Metro Trains boy. Um, the old cheer squad used to rock on down to the old South Geelong station and, you know, we'd rock up to the match and that was that, were, that was great fun, you know, the old cheer squad trains. And at that time, Geelong had the had their slogan of it's time cats, you know, on their banners and whatever. Um, banners are the things that used to go around the grounds in those days, Pete. <laughs> oh, for the memories. Oh, um, yeah, so um, Whitlam, yeah, he, he was... He was good for that era, I suppose, but without getting too political and all of that, um, you know, there were a lot of changes under his government. But it was um, not whilst he was Prime Minister that um, I got this idea to start the Women's League. That happened, uh, you know, a few years later in 1979. And um, that was also something that came out of nowhere. Um, just against the odds. Uh, like, I don't understand why I actually did it. <laughs> Some things I just don't understand about my behaviour, Pete. It was, I had no encouragement. Um, if I mentioned it to mum and dad, they would just say, oh, mm-hmm, okay, good, but try not to get above your station type attitude. You know what um, parents are like, and they, they're encouraging, but at the same time, I was very much aware of being one of seven children not to, you know, get too far above the station or too, I don't know, I I just guess I had to keep grounded, Pete, 
And um, but sometimes, you know, if you're going for something, uh, you just like a bit of encouragement. But it just wasn't there. And I thought, well, I'm a one out. Um, did a lot of stuff on my own as as a child growing up. Went out, went off. You know, just um, entertained myself with all the sports. And uh, so, cutting a lot out here. But going coming up to 1979, it was. It was um, an era where I was working. I was working full-time for the Victorian Government Tourist Bureau. And um, then that was a, a, a public service job, Pete, Victorian public service job. And I had a few public service jobs for Victorian Government around about that time. And later on, I uh, transferred over to community welfare services, which I believe today would come under the classification of Department of Health. Uh, but back then, it was um, – I actually wasn't following the VFL. I know, shock, horror, gasp. <laughs> I know. After what happened in 1973, I'll blame it all on 1973 when we got <clears> – <throat> this is why you're not a Richmond supporter. Because we got unceremoniously uh, beaten in the 1973 grand final. And it took me a long time to get over that, Pete, really seriously for – someone who just lived and breathed. And I was 20 at the time, and my life was just so much, you know, Carlton cheer squad, Carlton football, VFL, blah, 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 cricket in the summer, football in the winter. Um, but that really knocked me about so badly emotionally, that experience of seeing Big Nick and South be knocked out. Um, getting very emotional about it because I can just see myself there, Pete, at the game at the MCG. Uh, it was significant for me. Actually, after the game, I, I also had a 21st birthday party for one of the cheer squad, the older cheer squad members to go to in sunshine that night. And I tell you what, Pete, oh, did I want to be there? No, I didn't. I was falling the eyes out, still focusing on the game and just antisocial to a T. I just couldn't help it. I just didn't really want to be there, didn't want to be anywhere. It just really knocked me about that. That um, grand final loss, Pete, the, well, I just took it so personally. The year before, we, we had, and you, you you know your history, I know that, you know your statistics, you, you're impressing me so much with what you know, down to a fine detail, every detail. You know the 1972 Granny Carlton beat Richmond convincingly. And um, not only that, it was the highest grand final score, which I believe is still... Still, uh, still is up up to now to the current day. Carlton scored twenty eight goals ish or whatever. But anyway, I digress. Um, come nineteen seventy three, did not expect what had happened, but it was the tactics of Hafey, if I can say that. And I know you're not a Richmond supporter, so hmm, I'm like I'm over it. It's all right. I had the therapy. I took the tablets. It's all right. I can talk about it now, but. No, I'm just joking about that. Um, it was a hard time for me, Pete, back then because um, life was just toy in cricket and to be beaten like that under those circumstances, ah, it wasn't only just feeling flat, it was deflated, it was emotionally draining and, of course, life had to go on. So I went off in a different – my life started to change. I was travelling more. I was into the workforce. I went to teacher's college, dropped out. It didn't last a year. <laughs> um, so things were happening outside of football. 
and I'd lost interest. Uh, I came down from Teachers College in Ballarat one Saturday in 1974. At the invitation of my brother, he was a, a member of the BFL and the match was at Waverley. So I said, oh, yeah, come on down, watch Carlton, Richmond, blah, blah. And 1974, still football wasn't on the agenda. I just don't know. I just couldn't get into it anymore, Pete. Just lost that passion. And while I was there in the member stand, it just didn't seem right with my brother. Nothing personal against my brother, but I just had no love or nothing. Nothing for Carlton, nothing for Rich, nothing for the VFL. It was just, I don't know, Pete, I can't explain how from one extreme, so wound up, so so passionate, just so into it. And then after that 73 granny, boy, that really took the wind out of my sail. So, so as I said, I... You know, life goes on and you you have to just manage and carry on and um, football went by the wayside. I I couldn't tell you who was playing or who was winning or blah, blah. I won the Brownlow. And anyway, it was just such a change from that lifestyle I knew up until 19, the grand final of 1973. And But it's funny, Pete, I'd never lost the, the interest. It was still there, not quite buried not quite uh, ready to, you know, die that natural death. It was never going to do that. It was still in there somewhere, itching to come out years later. And when you've got that from your early childhood, you really, your roots, it's your roots. You establish your roots and that's it. Once you've established your roots, you, you know, you might branch out, but the roots are always there, whether it's in life or whatever. You still have that interest, passion, love. That can never be truly erased. And it was within me, as I found out later on in the late 70s. Still didn't follow anyone particular, Carlton, nope. Um, but it was just something about wanting to play footy that was reignited. I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe it was a weird thing, but I guess I'm guilty of doing these weird things one off from time to time. So it just happened that way. And like I was saying to you before, Pete, I really had no encouragement from the parents. Um, I was, you know, trying to be respectful to them and just keeping a lid on things and basic attitude was hmm, probably won't ever come off, but have a, have a go, daughter. You know, all right. All right, Lynette, you know, have a go at it. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> but not much encouragement, but that's fine. Oh, my mum and dad, that's the way they were and loved them dearly, dearly departed now, of course, but that's, just the way things were back then, Pete. Um, they still supported Carlton, and I'm sure they supported their daughter. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> um, despite her weird decisions and mad things that, you know, I used to do. But I don't know where it came from. As I said, Pete, I'm sorry. I can't explain it. I've got no explanation. Um, it's just... Sorry, love. Go on. I was going to say, the thing that we need to point out with in 1979, when you put the ad in the paper that starts it all. It was in May of 1979, so it wasn't triggered off by Carlton's grand final victory of that year in 79 over Collingwood. Uh, by no. the way, I'll, I'll ask a question for all Collingwood supporters uh, from your point of view. How far was the ball over the boundary line that Harms knocked back in? <laughs> You're asking the wrong person, sweetie. I would not have a clue. I know it was Harms, and I know the Collingwood supporters have been, you know, really bad, hard on Carlton over the years about it. But I wasn't there. I don't know. I was involved in the women's scene um, back then. But 
yeah, I've seen the footage loads and loads of times. So honestly, Pete, can't can't really comment. But as a Carlton supporter, I suppose I'm going to have to say, yes, it was over the line. But then again, who knows? It's all history now anyway that Carlton um, ended up, you know, the goal was scored and they ended up winning that flag. But um, to me, it was irrelevant, wasn't really interested in, in what was going on apart from the women's. That was just taking up a lot of time back then. And, and you're right, it was close to May, Pete, the advert, when I put it in the paper. Um, I had no idea when I, um, when I tried to find the article um, last year. Um, a journalist contacted me and wanted to know when the article was in the paper. Could I find the article? Do I have the article for her to, you know, follow up the story and, and when you, she contacted me? And do you remember what paper? Because at that stage you had papers such as, I think it was the Sunday Observer, you had the Herald, you had the Sun, and, of course, the Age. That's right, Pete. Gosh, you're just, you're just on the ball. I like it. Um, yeah, it was actually the, the Victorian Sun. And no, I never kept a copy. I never kept anything back then, Pete, because, you know, there was no Facebook, no Messenger, no um, Twitter, nothing of social media, no mobile phones. I didn't even have a phone at back as much. Um, it was just kind of, I guess, kind of primitive to what it is like now. Everything at your fingertips, everything instant. Um, so it was to, to pull this off, it was pretty remarkable just, putting an advert in the Victorian Sun and I had no idea when this journalist contacted me, do you know the date, do you know the um, substance of the the wording of the advert? I couldn't even remember that. <laughs> I know that I did put something in there and I was starting to think, gosh, did I really do that or not? I, I had no idea, um, you know, no um, evidence of it. So I had to go to the State Library and pour through all these old um from 1979 because I couldn't remember what month. Was it May? Was it April? Was it March? Um, so I had to go through tediously in the uh, the old microfiche up at the State Library up in the city here. And luckily I, I found it and it was, um, from memory, it was April the 30th. So it was 1979, so it was quite close to May. But um, no, didn't keep anything from those days, Pete. You, you were just so focused on enjoying getting all the women together. It was a new thing. It was it was um, joyous. It was exuberant. It was, you know, I didn't know. It was a learning thing, crawling before you could walk. It was a lot of happiness, exuberance, but some pain as well. You know, you can't have these happy times without the painful times. And um, just trying to take it all in and, 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 and it was a new, different thing. So, of course, there's going to be teething problems, but, um, I managed, we managed, we got through it and looking back on it, it was, I'm glad I did it. I don't know if I hadn't have done it myself, um, if I hadn't have kicked the thing off myself and after having that weird idea one day, I just thought, oh yeah, might as well do this. Nobody else is doing it. I'll give it a go. Why not? Um, came out of nowhere, just had no inspiration. Nobody talking about it. Just <laughs> come from within myself and thought, oh yeah, give it a go. Um, as I said, no social media to help me out and nobody else was um, just, if I put the feelers about, <laughs> well, obviously nobody was interested because I had to end up doing it all myself, but nah, that was okay. Yeah, if it was going to flop, it was going to flop, I'd put my hand up and say, all right, fair enough, okay. Wouldn't be the first time in life, you know, there's failures, there's successes that 
unfortunately it went the other way and the rest as they say is it's history now, but it could have it could have painfully been a, a slow death to it. It might not have kicked on. Um, but after that advert, as you mentioned, um, in the Melbourne Sun, using my auntie's phone, I know, <laughs> seems farcical now, doesn't it? You look back and I didn't even have a, a landline on at my parents' place in back of Smart. That came later when I offered after years and years of dad's resistance, it was dad. Um, he just never ever wanted a, a landline. It just wasn't in in the way you know. Just back then, people didn't wasn't wasn't a necessity. So I put put, put put you know got the uh, paid for them to have the phone on, and after that, they never looked back. <laughs> Mum loved having the phone on, but back then, no, I had to use my um, auntie's phone in Strathmore. And to my auntie's credit, uh, she was so lovely about it and supportive and helpful. And, and not only that, she used to take there's a few uh, radio things going on at the time too, Pete, radio interviews. And the old cassette came in very handy then. And Marty, you know, she, she learned how to do it. <laughs> um, while I was at work, obviously, I couldn't do it. And my mum didn't know too much. And dad, well, that was another story. But um, my auntie, she was so helpful and so supportive and was able to, you know, take a few of the old uh, radio interviews on cassette. And, um, yeah, so it was primitive, I guess, back then when you look at it now. Um, but it was the way of the world. It was the way things were. Um, if you didn't have a phone, well, so, yeah, you can manage other ways. And that's what I did. I put the advert in. I fortunately had um, a decent response, a really good response, um, almost 100 Women replied, and from there we took it um, one step further. Well, well, um, well, I, I, I took should, it one step further. I should Sorry. ask: with, yeah. with almost a hundred women replying, what were your initial expectations on who would reply to the ad? Because you're thinking around that time in the paper, you're selling a fridge, you're selling a lawnmower, whatever. You might have <laughs> half a dozen phone calls if you're lucky. You know, <laughs> how, how, how many were you expecting might actually a find the ad and then b pick up the phone? Well, I'm a person, I think, from experience of following Carlton when they when they had very dark days, when I started following them, they weren't the greatest team like they became later on. So it was expecting the worst from my football team. And, and that happening, that, that actually happened quite a lot um, when Carlton finished, you know, as low as 10th, gosh, low as 10th in 1964 in the old VFL. So... When they only had 12 teams, so I guess I was used to expecting the bad things and not always expecting things to be successful. So I had a, you know, I was balancing it, I suppose, Pete. Yep, it could fail. Um, People were saying, "Mm, yeah, okay, not really um, interested. We don't think this is going to go anywhere. Yeah, I remember some people, just, just general people that you talk to and, you know, you put the feelers out there. This is apart from the mother and father, just, other people you know, workmates or just people you just know generally and it wasn't a very positive response but I wasn't deterred, I just thought well okay I've got to go with it, we'll see how it goes, if it fails, fine, that's alright, life's going to go on, just try something else, hopefully I succeed in that, but no it was a bit of both Pete, it could fail, it could be successful, I wasn't really um, positive enough to or, you know, um, confident enough to expect, yeah, this is going to be great. This is going to kick off. We're going to be world beaters. No, never like that. 
always that um, element of, you know, being conservative, element of maybe, look, this might fail, just don't worry about it. Just um, make sure that if things don't kick off, just don't get too upset. Just move on, try and get over it, but have a go. Just have a go. And as I said, Pete, knowing my and living as I did back then in the early 60s with following a team called Carlton when they weren't the greatest. I just knew that there were going to be bad times and not always going to be successful like they were later on. But that that's probably a good grounding just to expect the unexpected, I guess. But fortunately, it went the other way. Um, and some hard work, of course, as well. I was never going to succeed without the hard work because it was just all new. I didn't do this in a previous life when I started the league or try to get, not started the league as such back then, but just try to get some like-minded women together via this advert, by speaking to them on the phone when they responded to the advert, just getting their, their like-minded interests all together on a playing ground where they could do what I wanted to do, just basically kick a footy. That's all it amounted to. And whatever happened after that, well, I don't know. You know, it was just baby steps, get on the footy field, get some women together, um, have, a, have a yak, talk about it. And then things um, just began to evolve, of course, as they, as they do. We'll have more of our chat with Lynn Smith, pioneer of Victorian women's football, coming up right after this. Been playing for a while, sweet kicks. Footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile, Sweet Kicks Football. In Melbourne on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. We're currently chatting with Lynn Smith, the pioneer of Victorian women's football, who back in 1979 put the ad in the paper calling for women that wanted to play Aussie rules and which would eventually form the Victorian Women's Football League in 1981. We're now up to the point where Lynn's put the ad in the paper the women have replied, now what? As you mentioned, things evolving. Yeah. You, so you've got the 96, you've got their names, you've got their details. Mm-hmm. What were the steps going forward? Hey, are we going to meet in one place? Or, well, you live on that side yeah. of town and you live on that side of town, so maybe you can meet such and such over there and you can meet such and such over there. How did it go from there? Yeah, that's right, Pete. That That's exactly um, as it evolved. Um, one of the uh, women who did contact me she was married to uh, somebody who ran a club called the Riverside Stars, or he was involved in the Riverside Stars over in, based over in Aberfeldy on the Meribinong River there at that time. And um, 
to cut a long story short, because obviously not keeping any journals or any notes or, um, you know, back then no uh, social media and Facebook accounts to go back over, um, just trying to just re- remember the sequence of events, uh, this particular man offered to take us training as a coach and use the ground over at Aberfeldy and call ourselves the Riverside Stars and provided the jumpers which were the old woolen type, <laughs> the old woolen jumpers. And um, look, I know you're an Essendon supporter and I would like to say that I think the jumper colours, the colours of the jumpers were Essendon, but somebody pointed out to me in the meantime, Pete, after that other interview, I don't really think that they were. I'm sorry about that. Um, I know you're going to be disappointed <laughs> with that. But I think from memory now that somebody jolted, jolted the old memory um, that they were, I think, maybe a dark red, a crimson and white. Something something to that effect. But, I mean, it doesn't matter. Because but, I think um, I think from yeah. Old Vision, if I'm correct, yeah. I think who might oh. have worn the Essendon jumper, the Vision's disappeared uh-huh. offline, but AFL Victoria Youth Girls had the video up for a while. It's on the ABC from 1981. I think oh. I think the Hallam Cobras might have been the black jumper with yep. the red sash because, as you'll tell, explain shortly with the Broadmeadow Scorpions who were also in that vision. They were the green with the gold V. Yeah. Now with the Hallam Cobras, originally they were Dingley Cobras, and they were the other. I was going to get to this anyway. They were the other yeah. team. There was just two of us at that time. The Riverside Stars, as we were called, and now I don't think. From memory, they were the, the Riverside Stars weren't Essendon colours. They were the, as I said, the crimson and the white. But we became the Scorpions later on. But at the time, this um, guy who was attached and involved with the Riverside Stars men's team, he offered to coach us. We were wearing those jumpers. It wasn't so much of a competition back then, but one team, well, the, the, the woman associated with the Dingley Cobras contacted me. And from memory, her name was Sue. I'm sorry, I can't tell you her surname and I've been trying to think of it, contact her, but I I just don't know, Pete. But Sue, um, she was connected with the Dingley Cobras and they must have changed over the years to Hallam Cobras later on. And yet, you're right, the Dingley Cobras were the Essendon colours, the the black with the red sash. Um, And we weren't the Riverside Stars for very long either, Peter. Uh, We branched out, moved out of Albuquerque over to Broadmeadows, uh, got a new coach. As, as things do, you know, you evolve, you change. There's more people coming into the club. There's people dropping out, etc. cetera. Um, things change, of course, and we became the Broadmeadows Scorpions and adopted the the blue and the gold colours, the, the, the blue with the, uh, the V, the gold V later on. And at the time of the VWFL, it was the Broadmeadow Scorpions with those colours. But saying that, <laughs> um, if you're going to ask how did the name Scorpions come about, um, probably told this story a few times. But, you know, I didn't like that name at the start, Pete, and I didn't understand why it was called the Scorpions. Um, a few of the girls and the coach they went behind my back and said, oh, yeah, Lynn's a Scorpio. So, you know, the old sign Scorpio. Oh, I know, it doesn't make sense, doesn't it? Does that, doesn't that up? <laughs> I didn't get it at the time um, just because I'm Scorpion. And, and, and the coach was a Scorpion as well, I think, from memory. So 
the girl said, oh, yeah, we're, we've decided to change the name from Riverside Stars to the Scorpions. And mm, didn't like it at first, but no, it's grown on me over the years and I really did come to like it. And it was, yeah, it's a really good name, original, and it's pretty powerful sort of, um, you know, name, especially with the success they had over the years. Even though there might have been changes from Broad Meadows to East Brunswick or whatever, it just represents that uh, the success and the, the colours of the jumper and and the memories and the experiences and yeah, I did did come to like it over the years, Pete. But I'm not sure if you knew about the the Riverside Stars connection in the beginning, did you? Or the, the only thing I think of when I think Maroon and a star I was almost thinking because there was another stars mm-hmm. in the Essendon a- area that was a men's side that was Duda Stars, which are now known as Essendon Stars, which were oh, a right. suburb over from Aberfeldy. Which we'll talk yep. about the Aberfeldy Scorpions in a moment's time. Of course, the Scorpions okay. would come from Broadmeadows, then Aberfeldy, East Brunswick, Parkville, then end at Northcote Park. So. They, they yeah, were right. they they were around a bit. I'm interested to know what I'm interested to know what ground the Scorpions played out of in Broad Meadows. Now for those yeah, that well, that, were locals, that's another, because there was yeah, there sorry, was Pete. there was Jacana Reserve, which was down the bottom of the that's Johnson right. Street Hill. There was Sherbrooke yeah, Reserve right. near the old Broad Meadows swimming pool. There was the that's right. there was a, f- a field I think there was behind the old Town Square Shopping Centre near Broad Meadows. Yes. And, and of course there was a ground up in Dallas, which was St Francis ground. So. Where was yes. the where was the oval that the Scorpions played out of? Oh, grown Pete! I wish you didn't ask me that because I wish I had known myself. Now, I mean, you're not going to forgive me for this, and I don't blame you because I feel a bit of an idiot. We trained there. I'd be driving out there from Bacchus Marsh, or when I moved to Melbourne in, in, in Elwood, I was living in Elwood for a while, and I, I drove out there twice a week. And I should know where the damn thing was, Pete. But honestly, I'm just trying. Remember, I know it was Brody or Jakarta. Now, could it have been Gibb Reserve? I don't know, honestly. I can't specify. I have tried to contact a couple of the old colleagues, the old Scorpion players that I, you know, played with back then and kept in touch with over the years. But they, they're not of any um, – their, their memories are not that great either, Pete. So I wish I could really remember. But <laughs> I know it's weird. I really should have remembered that, considering I, you know, I used to go out there training twice a week. Um, and I'm not sure whether Oak Park might have come into it as well, Pete. I think we might have even played over there, or trained, I should say, at one stage. Oak Park seems to just jolt the memory. Um, yeah, what is it all? There was two ovals at Oak Park and it was near the Oak Park swimming pool. Peter German was famous for coming out of Oak Park. That's one player yeah. that's uh, worth naming in the men's side of the game. And, of course, right. there was Glenroy Amateur uh, further down the road. So there's a few footy grounds around the sure. area. And, of course, Broadmeadow Sub-District Cricket Club played out of Glenroy's football ground. So there's another twist to the tail. But, uh, and of course, we should mention in that area later on, there would be a Hadfield women's side, uh, the Hadfield right. Hawks, which was the right. original club of one Moana Hope. So there we... <laughs> oh, there you go, Pete. You're but, just on the ball again. Yeah, good, 
good statistic there. Uh, well the, done for that one. So we have the Broadmeadows Scorpions. If I'm correct, you were the first president of the Broadmeadows Scorpions. As we said, yeah, that's the, right. the other club, which was the Dingley Coppers, but actually were the Hallam Coppers at the time. Their first ever president was Jan Wilson. It would later Jan be pu- Wilson, yes. Publis- I know that name from later on. Yep, yeah, sure. She'd later be publicity officer for the VWFL. Yeah, that's right. Some, that's other, right. some other names, uh, important names for the Broadmeadows Scorpions there would be, if I'm correct, Gemma Griffiths, who would be the right. first ever president of the Victorian Women's Football League. And That's right. an American joined her, Leslie Fraser. Oh, look, Pete, how do you know all of this? You're not expected uh, to know all of this. I, I do you also, must have been around. You've got to have been around as an adult in a previous uh, life, I, I know. I do also want to thank Brunette Leckage and Rob Hess for the Play On book, which is a magnificent resource. But oh, some that's amazing. That's an amazing book. No, absolutely spot on. And they were two of the women that I have tried to contact in recent times since the Masters, the Women's Masters has been formed, to try and get them to come back and play or be involved. And I'm I'm sorry, but regretfully, um, it's been a negative response. Probably, you know, mostly I think because of their, their injuries, they're not up to playing anymore. Um, as they say in their own um, words, being older now, it's uh, it's not easy for them. But I did try and um, for not just for the old times' sake, but for them to you know pull on the boots again, have a bit of a run around, um, have fun. As um, you know, that's what it represents the the women's masters. Um, but no, I couldn't um, coax them out of any form of retirement. Yeah, and I just feel really bad because of the injuries that they've suffered and and it's just prevented them from, you know, getting back involved. And I did ask about Broadmeadows where we trained, a couple of the women, and as I said, Pete, couldn't remember either. But um, those two names are are certainly from the past and they they were two that contacted me out of the advert and both school teachers too uh, from memory. I'll mention how a school links in with the formation of the VWFL, but since I'm mentioning famous names from Broadmeadows, I'll start rolling off three. I'll start with the first one, the first person to win uh, uh, the first two league uh, best and fairest, Marie Cave, uh, originally mm-hmm. a Broadmeadows Scorpion, then Aberfeldy Scorpions, a gun player. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, you would have as a trainer and the first ever life member of the VWFL, Helen Lambert who would go on That's to have right. the VWFL Best and Fairest named in her honour, now the VFLW Best and Fairest, known as the Helen Lambert Daisy Pierce Medal. And then sure. also a player who was uh, very good, I think won the Best and Fairest, if I remember correctly, around 87, 88. And according to Di Fineland, I think is coaching at Strathmore. So she's back in the game. Bernie Marantelli. Oh, Bernie Marantelli. There you go. Yes, yes. Um, Bernie joined us um, when she was very young. 18, 19, and I remember earlier than 87, as you've just mentioned, uh, it would have been, we had our best and fairest uh, count, um, you know, those uh, best and fairest occasions that clubs used to have, and I think from memory we had it out at Brimbank Park one Sunday, and Bernie was, um, yeah, lucky enough to win that uh, best and fairest award very early on when she was very young. And not only that, seeing you mentioned Bernie Marantelli, that program that I mentioned to you earlier from 1993, the Victorian South Australian program, um, she was one of the players uh, still playing for Victoria at that time. Uh, she started in the early 80s playing women's footy 
and she was still playing in 93. And um, funnily enough, as I said to you earlier, I, I did actually go to that match when I came back from England. And she was 28, I think, from memory then, and playing for, as it was, East Brunswick Scorpions. So you bring back some good memories there, Pete, Bernie Marantelli. And, yeah, still involved. Um, and I, I tried to contact it to, to get, get involved, you know, like the other women from the Scorpions, uh, involved with the uh, the women's masters, but no response. So maybe she's just, you know, quite content and happy to be involved with uh, Strathmore. Uh, yeah. That's but, um Good, good memories there. <laughs> good to have her back in the game. And, of course, Bernadette Marantelli got awarded a life membership uh, for the VWFL sure. in 1996. Let's flash forward. You've played these practice games, I guess you could call it, against um, the Hallam Copras. You have another meeting to come around to form in 1981, the Victorian Women's Football League. The two other teams that would join you would be the Epping Blues. So yes, you would have to play against a team called the Blues, and the, <laughs> and and to rub salt into the wound, uh, the Princess Hill Dodgers, which Princess <laughs> Hills is just a block or two in north Carlton. from That's Princess it. Park, <laughs> in, in the shadows of the old Inner Circle line. I know, I know. Yeah, what can I say? <laughs> You've said it all, Pete. No, it's okay. It was all good. And we're just wrapped at that stage to have so many women, more women getting involved and evolving with teams and eventually becoming the VWFL. Yeah, it took a couple of years to get there, but that's the way it evolved and that's the history and history I'm really proud of. And of course, just didn't stop there. It's always evolved. It always um, went, you know, that step further. Um, so as I know, it never went backwards. And God's read <laughs> to think if it ever did go backwards and failed. But no, it's just all been good. All been uh, positive for that for the women's uh, scene. And, you know, I, I often wonder, 1979, if it didn't come about, through me taking this um, step, um, whether it was weird, whether it was unconventional, um, totally mad, you know, out of this world idea. I don't know what would have eventuated, how long it would have taken. But um, certainly, you know, once it got going, it was firing on all cylinders. And uh, just so proud to know that history then from 79 onwards. Um, to how it did evolve and progress with more women and more teams. And that's what it has become, Pete, more women and more teams now. Um, You think back then, gosh, how did we ever manage? It was difficult at times, yes, um, we were up against it. But when you have so many more like-minded women alongside of you standing and helping and wanting to do what you want to do or wanted to do since you were a child, and so did they. You know, I met that many women with similar stories. And you think you're just the one out, you know, I was happy to play with my brothers, happy to follow Carlton, happy to the cheer squad matches. But as for those other women out there, you know, they were out there, obviously, because they contacted me with the, with the advert. And then it went on, it became bigger. So there's always been the women out there, like myself, never had the opportunity, never had the opportunity um, and just had to manage with, you know, maybe they kick footies around with their brothers and 
played with the cheer squad, but never had the opportunity to take that further like the boys and the men did, you know, with their own leagues and the VFL, etc. And yes, it took a bit of time, but who's counting? <laughs> it was it was all worthwhile um, in the end, I guess. So um, just uh, for my own personal involvement, Pete, um, I uh, look back on it now when I started it, I played and was there with the formation of the VWFL, but I travelled later on in the 80s and my involvement was um, reduced, of course, being out of the country living overseas, but I did keep in touch with people that you mentioned before, Gemma and Leslie, and was able to keep in touch and, you know, follow the progress. And at times I was sent these articles out of the the very newspaper, that very newspaper I mentioned earlier, um, The Sun. There was um, more publicity being given to um, when there were grand finals played and I remember uh, one in particular that I was sent. Um, it was probably very significant at the time, Pete, because it was Scorpions were coached by the first women's coach who achieved, as a captain coach she was, she she won the premiership for the Scorpions and that got substantial publicity with uh, this uh, spread in the sun. Um, and... It was just <laughs> so proud. So I've always been in touch, never been out of touch with the scene, even though I was um, all those thousands of kilometres away in another country. Um, the interest was still there and the passion, of course, as I said, the roots. Football, it's still there. We'll never go. Of course, and, um, that that, fem- go, Pete, go that female coach you speak of, of course, is uh, Jude Mortimer, who was, uh, you knew, <laughs> who was also uh, appointed as co-coach of the VWFL team of the 1980s. And Jude would go on to, after the Scorpions moved to Aberfeldy, would go on to start another team locally in that Broadmeadows area, the Gladstone Park Burrows. Oh, that's right. Yeah, well, actually, I'd forgotten about that until. Yeah, you, you, you really know your stuff, Pete, and oh, gosh, thanks for that. Yes, I know she did go on while I was overseas, and as I said, I was able to keep in touch with bits and pieces here and there, but I'd just forgotten the name of that other team. Um, Judy was another one that we tried to contact to get back in, involved with the Women's Masters, um, but unfortunately, no success. So um, we, I don't know what, what the story is with some of the women that, who, you know, I, I don't know. You would think that they would know about the, the Masters. Um, it's been well publicised. There's been a lot of uh, stuff being put out there about, but I, I just don't know. We tried. But it would be great to, you know, connect up again and, 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 and just chat about old times and maybe get them back involved in, in football, but it seems... It seems unlikely. Maybe the interest isn't there, or but at least you give them the opportunity, um, and that's their decision. If they want to come back, that's, that's fair enough. But personally speaking, I'd love it if I got some old scorps back and just 
there I go, scorped. <laughs> Talking about the old days, Pete. <laughs> let's, Just reminiscing and, yeah, good good time. Sorry, go on. Let, let's talk about that 1981 um, season because um, the actual fixture was typed out and kept by Janet Graham, who was right. uh, one of the first ever secretaries of the VWFL. Uh, and it was actually yes. displayed on a, um, a women's footy history uh, exhibition in Western Australia. And I managed to see behind the glass that that actual document, and of course, a copy of it was printed in the Play On book, a six-round season. Uh, games played on a Sunday bloody Sunday, to quote the VFA. <laughs> uh, um, uh, and it states in there, possible Lightning Premiership as well on July 5th with the grand final to be held on August 23. The first ever games were played on Sunday, May 31, 1981. Sorry to say I missed those games. I was still nine days away from being born. Um, <laughs> Damn, how dare you? That, 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 that day, um, it shows Cobras v Epping, Scorpions v Princess Hill. So it was the Scorpions and the Dodgers in your first ever game that you would have played. <laughs> Do you have any recollections at all? I mean, we now talk about the AFLW's first ever game in 2017 and everyone, where were you when it was a lockout, etc. <laughs> for me, I was locked outside. Um, but, for, but, but for you, do you have any recollections of that first game or first season? Or was it because everything had been happening from 1979? It was all just a blur. Oh, Pete. Oh, no, we had lockouts. We had thousands <laughs> there. Yeah, dream on, Lynn. Um, not likely. Um, no, you're right with the latter, Pete. I'm sorry to say. <clears throat> um, well, I'd like to put it down to um, maybe so much as Ward has gone under the bridge since 81, what, 40 years ago almost. So things were bound to happen. Non-football, football in that time, living overseas, blah, 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 travelling, et cetera, et cetera. Look, I won't blame it on that, but I think um, the answer would be yes. It would have to be a bit of a blur because n- didn't didn't record anything, Pete. Didn't didn't have any photos. As a matter of fact, I think from those days, I've only got the one photo that was was published in the Sun. So it wasn't like a great deal of photos were taken. We didn't worry about it. We just wanted to get out there, play, um, just <laughs> concentrating on the on the thing that mattered playing, getting a team together, doing a lot of off-the-field stuff, the secretarial stuff. We all had to do that. We all had full-time jobs. It was, um, you know, it was just uh, training, just getting the teams together and playing one another and whatever the memories are. No, I'm sorry to say I do not remember my first match. I I remember some of them. (laughs) Um, And I don't even remember that match that we played – when it was against Preston Cougars later on, um, with the, the, the photo in the sun, and it was a shocker, and I want to forget it. But no, you're right, Pete, it was a, a, it's a blur. I know it happened. And um, no, it was just, I think, the, the emotion, the, the occasion. And I've asked a couple of the others, um, you know, off the cuff, do you remember that such and such? No, no. Um, or not the only one whose memory's a little bit of a blur, you know, on these occasions, these early uh, significant things. Some things I remember, of course, some things they remember. But as for that first match, no, sadly, Pete, no um, lockout. (laughs) Uh, No thousands of supporters inside. But just, I suppose, historic because it was the first BWFL match, as you say. 
and and we were part of it. <laughs> However small or insignificant it might have been, it did have significance for each and every one of us. In, um, in the longer sorry, term, a greater significance on the history of women's football, which we'll explain very of shortly. Course. But obviously, mm-hmm. you also won the first premiership that year, defeating Hallam in the grand sure. final at La Trobe University, 7-9-51 to 1-1-7. It's interesting. I do remember, and you do too. <laughs> <laughs> Glad you mentioned that. <laughs> Do you you remember actually getting a a premiership flag or a premiership cup or was it just a case of back then of, yay, we won? (laughs) (laughs) We would have got something, but like a a few other things, um, yeah, we we, we may have got got a cup. I seem to recall something along those lines. Oh, did you just mention the word cup? Yes, we got a cup. (laughs) But where it is or whatever happened to it, I'm, I'm sure we would have got something like that because... Um, we were doing things that were pretty progressive at that time, even though they were kind of like baby steps, things were happening. So, I mean, we got the league, we we were getting, you know, we were getting a bit of publicity, things were happening. So I'm pretty sure that um, we we were um, presented with that cup. So if so, now the hunt is on. Can someone find the original 1981 Victorian (laughs) Women's Football League Premiership (laughs) Cup? The search is on. And if I'm wrong... Please hunt me down and take me to task over it. Um, oh, look, my explanation is, I'm, I'm sorry, but the memory ain't that great, you know? Mm-hmm. But well, things like, um, sorry, go on. I was going to say, so, so rolling through into into the 80s, um, you'd play in 82, 83, 84. Uh, clubs would come and go, of course. You'd be joined by Hurstbridge mm-hmm. Warriors. You mentioned the Preston Cougars. You'd be joined by Mountain South Panthers joined the competition, Ferntree Gully Kang but some clubs left as well. And as, as we mentioned, the Scorpions would relocate back to Aberfeldy and wear the Aberfeldy two-blue coloured jumper. Um, what is it like in those formative years? And, and I guess it almost stayed true for the VWFL, even into the 2000s, of you were kind of attached to men's clubs in some situations where the men were like, well, here's some hand-me-down jumpers and there you go. And, <laughs> and and the clubs were in and out and they were moving around left, right and centre. There wasn't like how we expect with men's clubs that we look with their, with their suburban history where clubs have been in the same spot for 60, 70, 80, 90, some 100 plus years. Mm. Just, to, Pete, we didn't know any different and we were doing what we were doing. It was off the cuff, okay, we have to do this. Never been a, a league before, never been a women's league before. So we, we, we had no idea. We were just doing what um, everyone's input was was different. It was valued. Everybody helped out, um, of, of course, with different backgrounds of, of um, loads of women. There were, there were going to be different opinions. So we, if we couldn't get it together with doing things that were pushing this league forward and you know getting more women, which is what happened, so we're doing something right, um, things were happening that um, we were just doing it. And acceptance, um, it was just like, okay, the men play football, you can't play for Carlton. All right, okay, I was sad at first, but acceptance, it's all about acceptance. Um, and just doing what you can do, um, whether you're a man or a woman. You're just doing what you can do. You're still doing stuff that you really love. You're having the opportunity to do it. And I guess you kind of overlooked that. You didn't really look for climbing Mount Everest. You were just going little little hills here and there and just taking it as it comes and 
if there was a um, some good things that happened, the publicity, the um, like I remember we were we were on a uh, the Channel Nine News, a current affair was they were doing some interesting bits, and yeah, we we were wrapped because we weren't expecting it. We were just out there. Something was was people were looking on it as oh this is good okay this is something different and it was becoming more and more um, heard of people were becoming aware of it slowly of course slowly of course Pete but didn't expect to line you know be granted the MCG to play our games we didn't expect jumpers from sponsors we did go um, looking for some sponsors asking nicely for sponsors. At the time, and I'm, I, from memory, we did have a couple of them, and that that, that was good. That was good that uh, they were willing to help. I think one of them was, from memory, Preston Motors, or um, just the try, trying to uh, <laughs> pinpoint the memories here now, Pete. But there were at the time we were just doing things slowly. That um, things were happening, and, and you, you just kind of expect it. You don't expect these. You know, we're never going to be like the men in play of the VFL. But it was just what was happening at the time, Pete, and, and just taking it all in our stride, of course. Um, lot, lots of hard times, of course. It was hard work. Um, you know, pain doesn't come. Happy times and good times don't come without that element of struggle and pain. But that's all part of the, the story. That's what happens. Um, I'm sure it happened with the origins of the, the VFA, first of all, and then the VFL. Um, that was a new thing back then. It had to start somewhere, and I was so glad it did. Um, so just finding our way and just acceptance, and I think <laughs> pretty jubilant actually getting things like sponsors and having the TV coverage and the newspaper coverage and getting more and more teams and having a woman coach us to a premiership and getting recognition slowly. Um, but no, I certainly didn't expect it to happen overnight, Pete. No way. Well, that's how I felt personally anyway. And, you know, I'm sure just you'd remember if somebody wanted to, you know, try and take over the world straight away with the women's football. But no, my contemporaries from memory, no, they weren't like that. It was just um, going to be a slow process. And, and that's how it was historically looking back on it, Pete. Um, it may have been slow, but it was progressive. It, it, it happened. And it never went backwards, and it got to the point, as you know now. This is this is this is basically where we are now. So <laughs> we must have done something good. You're listening to our chat with Lynn Smith, a pioneer of Victorian women's football, right here on the Women's Australia's Football Podcast. Don't go anywhere. More of our chat with Lynn coming up after this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. You're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. We're chatting with Lynn Smith, a pioneer of Victorian women's football, and talking about the early years of the Victorian Women's Football League, which was formed in 1981. 
Now, Lynn, before we talk about you hanging up the boots for the first time back in 1984, we haven't asked you the critical question. What were you like as a footballer? Lousy. (laughs) Ah, pass on that question. Next question. (laughs) The Bacchus Marsh Bruiser, to be honest, (laughs) frankly. Mm. Well, that was the reputation. Um, uh, Rugged, uh, short and stout. Um, and, you know, possibly not the most skillful, but I learned to, um, when, when I had times on my own, spent uh, just solo times without the brothers in the backyard, a lot of times were spent just kicking to myself or kicking up against. We had a great big, large um, yard, front and backyard, Pete, in Bacchus Marsh with the family home. So I was able to do that and handball, bounce and all of that. So if I couldn't master that by 1979, something would have been wrong spending, you know, something would have gone wrong spending all that time on my own just with a footy and same with the old tennis racket hitting the ball against the uh, <laughs> the old wooden, the, um, the, the boards of the house, the weather boards and the, the cricket ball, throwing the old ball up and hitting it when it came back to me against the brick wall. So that if nothing came of that that experience and that practice, um, nothing ever would. But no, pretty, pretty uh, average, uh, short, um, not that tall. So I sort of had to make up for it in a, you know, um, I don't know, they called me the back of Smash Bruiser. So, yeah, use your imagination. Um, rugged, I suppose. Just used to run through and just tackle and... Pretty, pretty mean, but we, we've, we've been fair. Um, you know, I knew the rules, so just try and have to uh, manage by, I don't know, doing doing the best, but nothing spectacular, of course. Yeah, I'll be honest. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> That's the way it is. You've got to accept your limitations. <laughs> I might have had some handy, handy attributes, but now nah, we'll pass over those. <laughs> no, enough to get by and enjoy it, Pete. Yeah, could kick handball. And um, then when the injuries came over the years, it kind of reduced the capacity to, um, you know, the old foot had a, had a bit of an injury with the old foot and that got bung for a little while and it affects the old kicking, especially, you know, trying to play in the Masters. But back then, I don't know, just gung-ho, just uh, pretty much straightforward. I was actually... what. <laughs> what they call, <laughs> and I was just reminded this recently with an interview that I, I did on an old radio station called 3DB, Pete. Not, not, not sure if you're familiar with this Melbourne station yeah, back in it, the day. It, it, 100 3DB, which would end up becoming 3TT and later double TFM, now notice KISS 101.1. There you go. You're too much. <laughs> You're too knowledgeable, Pete. Good on you. Yep, that, that's exactly it. To cut the long story short, there was an interview done with a, a commentator broadcaster at 3DB years ago, and he introduced me as centre woman. <laughs> I'd forgotten, which is now, like, that would be the equivalent of midfield, of course. But, yeah, well, that's when I first started out against the Dingley um, Cobras when we played that first premiership. Mind you, there were only two teams. <laughs> I remember being the centre centre woman, I suppose you would call it that season, and probably a lot fitter. And um, yeah, I think uh, just uh, when you're a lot fitter and you're gung ho and you're enthusiastic and you've played a few games with the cheer squad and with your brothers, you um, you know you don't want to show off, but uh, just. 
try and compete and maybe do a couple of things right, but certainly, um, nah, nah, not much. Not much in the way of a, a footballer as such, but just went out there for the fun of it, Pete, and just uh, had glad of the opportunity of kicking that ball around, handballing and, you know, playing games and playing competitive games later on. So, yeah, it's just all, it's all relative though anyway, isn't it? You, um, you have good days, you have bad days, and uh, good times, bad times, fun times. So, but uh, the interest was always there. It doesn't matter about the ability; it's the, the interest and the, that love was deeply rooted. Um, that that brought me into the masters, but I'm possibly jumping too many steps here, Pete. So because just, I, just calm me down if I'm getting too far ahead here. Just I, cut me off. I want to ask you about 1984 because at the end of the 1984 season, you've won three out of four possible premierships with the Scorpions. The Cobras mm-hmm. spoiled the party in 83. Marie Cavish has won her second uh, league best and fairest. Things are going great. And then we don't see you pull on the boots again in the history of the Victorian Women's Football League. What happened after 1984? And it almost sounds like something that George Orwell would have written being 1984. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, gee, that's a good connection, Pete. 1984, yeah. No, it was um, always been a traveller, cut the long story short. And um, nothing, no, it was, was still good. You know, we were, we were progressing really well and it was the, the, our team and the league were in good hands. And I'd actually done a bit of travelling before that and the years before that, um, you know, around Australia, hitchhiking around Australia a couple of times. Nothing, nothing too serious. Um, you know, in the off-season when we weren't playing footy and then other little trips here and there. So I've always had that uh, itchy feet syndrome, you know, I don't know, call me a bit of a gypsy, can't settle down type thing, you know, just want to travel um, but that, uh, and I suppose maybe that goes back to the days of being confined and never allowed out. Maybe it was just a desire to see the world and go travelling and whatever. So, um, just came about at that time. It's all history now, of course. But um, I was travelling to the states, and after I, um, you know, came back from around Australia, and then got the old itchy feet to go to the states. For uh, got into rock and roll later on in later years. Um, I'll skip over a few details here. Not relevant to the footy. Um, went to a few rock and roll conventions overseas and hitchhiked around America and great experiences. Came back, you know, tried to get into the work scene here back in Melbourne. Tried to settle down, but um, no, it just didn't quite work out. So I went back to the States, did some more travelling, blah, blah, and rock and roll shows and hitching and whatever. And um, came back to Australia and I was living in Melbourne, had a flat in Elwood or an apartment, I should say, as they call it now, um, and working uh, doing a variety of jobs. Got my uh, truck driver's licence, um, articulated vehicle licence, and thought, oh, yeah, when I was hitching over over uh, to the west and up north to the Northern Territory, um, I uh, had need to, to use a licence because I was hitching with some truck drivers who just, because of the long distances, appreciated me. I didn't have a licence then, but, yeah, I'll give it a go. Let's um, take over and give you a bit of a break type thing, you know, type attitude, and I just really liked it. Like driving the road trains and one thing led to another and 
um, no accidents happen, no mishaps. And I thought, oh, yeah, mind you, there isn't a lot of traffic out in the those sort of outback places of Aussie, but really enjoyed it. So cut a long story short, came back to Melbourne after more travelling and uh, uh, yeah, I might just um, go in for a um, bit of truck driving. I got my licence and that was going to be the plan. Then, I don't know, it was just the stitchy feet kind of took over and just thought I'll put the truck driving on hold for six months or so. Yeah, go back to the States, then I'll whiz over to Europe. I'll just get it out of the system and come back and play some more footy. And it was always like that, even though that six months went on and on and on. Uh, it was always nagging away at me, go back and play footy, you know. It's got that interest there, the women's league's going well, I'm keeping in touch with my friends from the, the Scorpions and everything was going well and or oh, just dying to get back into it and, I don't know, travelling so far away and I hitchhiked around Europe and, you know, just enjoying that so much. And when I came back from Europe back to London, um, I was short of a quid so to speak, needed a bit more money to do a bit more travelling and I thought that's going to be it. I'll work part-time, temporarily or whatever and then just just get some more money, go back to Melbourne and play footy again. I just really wanted to, Pete. I was just so so desperate, you know, hearing these stories of how well things were going and, oh, I needed to be part of it. You know how how it is when you're so far away, you, you, you know, you want to be there but you're in another country and you're enjoying that country. So one thing led to another. I was getting these um, part-time jobs, you know, just to earn, earn, earn a bit of money. And then suddenly, I don't know, I went away on another trip back to Europe and came back and thought, yeah, I think I will work again, get some more money. I quite like this lifestyle, even though I'm just in the footy. So I applied for a job at the Australian High Commission in London full-time job, full-time position, and cut a long story short, um, that went on for a few years, and I ended up staying in England for a few years, happily travelling and whatever, and getting into established routes is basically what happened, Pete, and as I said before, once you get your roots in a place, um, that's it, you you know, you feel comfortable in not only working, but travelling to Europe, travelling around the UK, um, I was also involved in a, a lot of uh, other things like walking groups, the Ramblers, which is the equivalent of our bush walking clubs here, and Shocker, involved in Brighton Hove Albion as a as a supporter. I used to live in Brighton when I first went to England, so I got attached to the football team, and one thing led to another. I was travelling to away matches and going to see England play in England as well as away, uh, become a supporter, a member of the supporters club. And I like the West End Theatre, you know, I love the um, plays over there and just um, a, a, a lot of things and marathon running, running with my um, running club, athletics club, marathons and half marathons and 20 miles and stuff like that because I was still still miles, not kilometres and just a lot of different things that is, and the tennis of course, so it goes on, Wimbledon and just got into a lot of things and the cricket. Then I got involved in the Barmy Army. I was watching cricket with the Barmy Army and travelling with the Barmy Army, away matches and supporting England, would you believe? I know. <laughs> How dare I? <laughs> Just a stage I went through, Pete, by the way. It's all right. I'm back Australia, supporting Australia now, so don't fret. Yeah, it was just one of those stages I was going through. I was enjoying it so much and 
managing to work in between after I left the Australian High Commission. And look, Pete, suddenly all these years are going by and um, it was just an, obviously with friends that I'd met over there and just oh, a lot of things, Pete, that uh, are just Whenever I'd go away to Europe on different walking trips or whatever, cycle. Oh, and that was another thing: cycling groups, and <laughs> there's just too much. I can't remember it all, and so there was a lot to keep me there, Pete. <laughs> I, I should mention, like we talk now with the uh, AFL, they talk about their Telstra Tracker, which is a heat map essentially where the player go- goes. Yeah. For for yourself, wherever you seem to go, you leave a heat map of where the game <laughs> expands. And I'll point out this: obviously, in Victoria, you've you you know the the article which led to uh, the sorry um, the the ad the paper which led to the Victorian Women's Football League being founded. As you said, you drove up to the Northern Territory, where of course is now the NTFL Women's League up there. <laughs> you mentioned you're going to the United States, where 27 out of the 46 United States Australian Football League clubs either have a women's side or have women training at their club. Then of course you went across to <laughs> went across to England and Europe. First of all, which I believed you got involved with what. Was was then known as the Barful, the British Australian That's Rules right. Football League. Now oh, known I as forgot AF- to throw that in, Pete. Yeah, oh, no, no, no not, this... not on purpose. I've just totally <laughs> forgotten that, but you're yeah. right. Thanks for that. Now, now known... this. Now known as AFL London, which has the only 18-a-side women's league outside of Australia, is in AFL London. Plus, of course, you're right. going around Europe. There's teams, women's teams now based in Wales. There's now an AFL Scotland right. women's competition. There's an AFL Ireland women's competition. The Western European Women's League has just been started up. There is AFL Germany women's, obviously the AFL Euro Cup. So everywhere sure. you've seemed to have gone, <laughs> women's football has expanded, including when you've come back to Australia and then in 2018 played in the AFL Women's Masters, you start, it's a four-team competition, you leave the next year, it's a 10-team competition. I'd like to say I was responsible for all that, Pete, wherever I went, but oh, I like the way you put that. That's a great analogy. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, no, that's, that's really great. But, yep, that's exactly what's happened. And, oh, God, am I so thrilled about all, all those um, places, those countries, Pete, having women's competition. Who'd have thought back in 1979, Pete? Gosh, just so much going on and so many and, – and good on them. It's, it's just remarkable. And, and yeah, regarding the Masters, um, we have honest, obviously Jill Chalmers to thank for the um, starting of the, the, the AFL Women's Masters. And, yeah, that was just another brilliant experience. Um, just tick that one off as great experience, Pete. I don't play anymore. Still but like to be involved I in do, it. I do need to ask the question, though. You're yeah. in your mid-60s at this stage. You know, what, what's, all the, what's all the itchy feet to go, you know what, let's go contact sport. I'm going to pull back on the boots and I'm going to play for the Melbourne Lions. Oh, well, maybe that could happen, but I doubt it at the moment. I'm quite happy to be um, involved as a volunteer, still to be involved and, and you know, to, to go down and say, even if I don't um, do anything on a volunteer basis to, as a matter of fact, I was down at our training ground on Thursday doing such a thing, just going down and saying hi to the men, first of all, the Melbourne Lions men, um, just you know, going down, taking a few photos and um, just the banter and saying hi and g'day and the same with the women. Am I correct? Uh, the um, Melbourne Lions playing at, out of training and playing out of the powerhouse ground at Albert Park? No, no, they were. we were based down at Albert Park, Pete, but in March this year, 
moved to a new training ground in Port Melbourne called J.L. Murphy Reserve. Home of the Port Melbourne Colts. Oh, that's it, Pete. You're up with it. Port Melbourne Colts, that's the one, Pete. Yeah, sharing the ground with them. That's right. Um, And still training after that layoff and the, you know, not being able to do anything during the worst of the um, COVID business. Um, Back into training now on uh, Thursday night. And the Colts train on the other nights, of course. But no, look, I would really like to, on one hand, um, maybe get back into the old uh, playing. But I did retire last year, Pete. And unlike Dane Nelly Melba or Johnny Farnham, um, there won't be any <laughs> any comebacks as far as playing. But I'm happy with that. Um, I think now with a couple of medical conditions I have, I have to be realistic as much as I would really like to play. Um, I've got a uh, irregular heartbeat. Not that that stops me, of course, because you can manage with something like that. But I also have a more serious condition, um, which is a bit dodgy, uh, playing contact sport. Um, and that being osteoporosis, which is uh, one step off osteo, sorry, osteopenia I have. One step of osteoporosis, which runs in the family. Cut a long story short, it's um, it could be. I was lucky, you know, when I played, got a few um, knocks and a few tumbles and unceremoniously dumped and <laughs> stuff like that. But you expect that. It's a contact sport. That's footy. No complaints. Um, no squealing like a baby. No, put up with that. But I think. You know, I was lucky to survive it because anything can happen, especially um, in this age group, you know, um, not a spring chicken and all of that. So, I mean, have to be really careful, seriously. All jokes aside with um, anything could happen with um, if I break a bone, having this osteopenia condition. Um, it could be, you know, very serious and I would probably regret going back onto the footy field as a player. But saying that, Pete, I'm quite happy to make that decision and stick with it because I'm still involved. I can still see my Melbourne Lions teammates and have a bit of fun, bit of a laugh, bit of a laugh and, um, you know, support. I think the support's important and, and do stuff off the field, Pete, because as you know, clubs rely on people off the field to help. And it doesn't involve always playing for a club on the field. It's off the field stuff as well. So quite happy with that, Pete. Um, No complaints. No complaints or no regrets, nothing at all regarding leaving the Scorpions uh, at that stage in 1984. It was meant to be. I had a great time and I still felt part of it, even though I wasn't there physically playing with them before I left. I had a marvellous time. Um, felt proud that, yes, um, somebody had to start the Women's League back in 1979 and, yes, put my hand up, okay, it was me, mm-hmm, all right, you did all right, yeah, I suppose. I suppose you did all right, Lynn Smith, yeah, just, <laughs> ish. But, 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 no, by the way, okay. by the way, by the way don't, don't, don't cough about your age like you did earlier. After all, you're a youngster compared next to Brenda Arnell, Lauren Arnell's oh, no. mum. Oh, Brenda, she's so gorgeous. Running, who ran around at 69. <laughs> I know, isn't that gorgeous? And hopefully, if you know this um, COVID didn't stop the season, she would be still playing this season. Oh, she she she's remarkable. Oh, I've got a lot of admiration for Brenda. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, hearing her story and her background, 
a lot of admiration, Pete, really. So, yeah, so, and so if, if, Lauren, if Lauren dares to try and retire in her mid-30s from AFLW, people will be looking at her and going, mate, your mum's gone on a 69. <laughs> yeah, what are you yeah, doing? Get out there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, a lot of admiration and power to Brenda. Good on her. But, um, no, look, Pete, it's um, probably, I, I guess, as you said, as you pointed out, age probably is no barrier. But with me, and, it's just, sorry. And that age was not a barrier to you to representing your state for the first time. When you pulled on <laughs> bringing that up, are you? <laughs> the jumper to represent Vic Metro versus Vic Country. From playing in a paddock somewhere with the Riverside Stars <laughs> in 1979-1980 to playing <laughs> under a roof in a billion-dollar stadium. <laughs> that, Gosh, you know all my history, don't you? God, I'm starting to get worried now. No, the, no. The, things oh, have just oh, changed oh, a little bit over 40 years. Things have just changed a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit, Pete. Oh, thanks for pointing it out. I was just going to miss that. Forgot all about that. No, I didn't. No, it's all right. No. Great, great occasion, Pete. Just oh, too emotional, too emotional. It was absolutely phenomenal to, as you say, and Susan Alberti was there and other like-minded girls, even though we were, you know, we're, we're, we're AFL Masters women. Gosh, it was just, Pete, it was the occasion of all occasions, the emotion, could I be really doing this? Am I pinching myself? Is this real? Did we really come to this? 1979. And yeah, Pete, as I was walking out onto that um, stadium turf, yeah, there were a few tears shed, Pete, of course. Of course of what it meant for me, you know, going back all those years, all that hard toil and work and effort and um, amazing, you know, amazing achievement back then to how we, how it all felt walking out on that turf Susan Alberti in attendance and those other wonderful women beside me playing with me and playing against me. And uh, it was just, it was, you know what it was, Pete? It was AFL Women's Masters United. It's all united in it. And it was, <laughs> what can I say? It was just a momentous day, a momentous time. Yeah, one to treasure, Pete. Really treasure that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you know about that. Um, were you there by any chance, Pete? Unfortunately, I wasn't there on that occasion, no. but I have no, seen the enough. photos of the occasion, courtesy of many of the great <laughs> photographers who do some fantastic work in women's sure. footy. And, of course, the heads up from one Lisa Kiwi Roper from our commentary <laughs> team. Thank you very much to Coach Kiwi. Even if she did originally come, well, as much as she's a Kiwi, as much as she played her footy originally in New South Wales, um, you know, we'll accept those north of the border begrudgingly. Um, I, I do oh, want She's amazing. I, do I wanna, really like Kiwi's oh, for what she's done. Sorry. Yep. And just wanted to add that. 250-game legend, what can we say? Um, Absolutely. From- That's the word for Kiwi legend. And a lot of power to Kiwi as well. A lot of admiration for what she's done too. And still doing too, Pete. I, I, still doing amazing things. Amazing things. That awesome, awesome woman. And a lot of doing amazing things inspired by AFLW. And I want to ask sure. from your point in history of women's football, what mm-hmm. did the AFLW mean to you, particularly when that first game kicked off? Your club, your club, Carlton. Oh, I know. Taking on Collingwood, <laughs> winning in that first game, winning on your home ground. I'll call it Princess Park, its real name, not the sponsor's name. Exactly. Um, but 
that first game, I, I spoke a couple of weeks ago to now former North Melbourne coach Scott Gowans, and he was then uh, assistant coach on Carlton that day, walking alongside another assistant coach, Jane Lang, who played for a number of years with Darabin Falcons in the old VWFL, right. and talked about how yeah. there were tears rolling down the cheek of Jane's um, face because I've seen sure. 25,000 people seeing it, a lockout that from playing in a paddock where no one is watching to all of a sudden all these people have come to watch a women's match. What did it mean for you for all of that bundled up of here it is, here's the occasion, it officially all begins now, professional or at least semi-professional women's football? Well, I tell you, if I wasn't fit enough to break into that stadium because I was like a lot of other latecomers, not expecting it to be so overwhelming, well, I'm glad that I was able to climb up on that um, one of those old stands that I was privy to stand or sit in over the years. Um, yeah, you might think, yeah, oh, no, this mad woman didn't do that. Yes, she did with a help up um, and a leg up, if you don't mind me saying. Um, not a pretty sight. You're glad I got locked only- out. <laughs> Yes, well, but, you know, they were all coming towards us saying, no, it's full, you can't get in, blah, blah, blah. And there was um, the, uh, what's his name? God, I've even forgotten his name. McLaughlin. Gil McLaughlin. Even standing there in the flesh. And I thought, no, can't accept this. I I just could not accept it, Pete. Couldn't take no for an answer. I suppose it was like going back to 1979. Just could not take no for an answer from those doom and gloomers who said, no, nah, it can't be done, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, yeah, well, you watch me. I bet, and I better not make a, a fool of myself because it could have gone that way trying to get a shimmy up that stand with the help from a few other people. But as I found out later, Pete, and I remember there were others around me trying to do the same thing, whether they got in or not. I was just so determined to get in there. And that, that in itself was like an mm, achievement. Get in there, woman, and, and, and watch this match because I could see history. It felt it in the bones, in the water. It was all building up, wasn't it, Pete? It was, the, it was just gathering momentum. And then to be one of those um, inside that stadium, the 25,000, oh, Pete, everyone said the same thing, you know, goose bombs, the, the, the hairs on the back of the neck or wherever else. It was just just too emotional, the tears. But, you know, I think that was the um, – for the spectators, wasn't that the, the – um, the, that was that was the flavour of, of, of the game for, for the people off the field, just the emotion of it and just being a spectator, experiencing and witnessing this. It was like, is this for real? The women have actually got a league and it's my team, Carlton, playing the arch enemy. Is this for real? Oh, Pete. Words. And you were there yourself, of course, I take it. I was walking around the outside of the ground. I was locked out. Oh, no. I feel bad now telling you that story. <laughs> I did manage, though, and it ended up going viral at the time. I took a photo where a father was standing near a gate and had his young daughter on his shoulders looking at a gap between the top of the gate and the top of, I guess, the brick wall surrounding the gate. Oh, they could be your photos, Pete. Yeah. That, that that was that little young girl. I'd probably guess no more than maybe six or seven years old, looking oh. through that gap, looking into Icon oh. Park to watch the game. I saw. I was there for that moment. It's the only thing I was oh, glad that they could get that photo. I did sneak in in the last couple of minutes when the crowd was starting to leave and the gate was open. I oh, was sneaking great. to um to the Ligon Street end of the ground and ha- having a look. Oh, did you? And, and as everyone would say, it was almost like a normal football game. The only thing that was missing was the Peanut Man walking around. 
Princess Park. <laughs> Oh, so, no, so you missed grab the peanuts, peanuts, man. He was there earlier. <laughs> no, <laughs> the old school, grab the peanuts and throw them at the gullet part. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Oh, but your photos, that would have been – that. I've seen some of those, and, and I wasn't aware that they, they could be yours. That They're symbolic, Pete. That That's so symbolic of even more possibly of being inside of this, as you say, describing this young girl on the dad's shoulders. How symbolic, trying to see through that gap. And I hope they did continue, you know, with their interest of going to other matches in future after that when it wasn't quite so bad. You know, there was no lockouts. But, oh, yeah, that, 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 that night, Pete. Oh, wow. You know, what can you say? Just, oh, gee, I'm sorry. You, <laughs> you never did. <laughs> you weren't tempted. You weren't tempted to break in. <laughs> but, but, but mind you, if me missing out meant you getting in, then I am all for it because you deserve that spot. And I guess it asks a broader question. When we think of yourself by putting that ad in the paper, the first president in Gemma Griffiths, players such as Marike, Bernie Marantelli, sure. you know, all the names that were rattling off earlier. Um, sure. Where do you see yourselves sitting in the history of women's football? Because as we say, we've got the 40th anniversary of the VWFL's um, first ever season, 1981, coming up uh, next year. Um, it almost seems like, I, I wouldn't say the history of the VWFL is being erased, but it seems to be fading away as it's less talked about and all of a sudden all things AFLW seems to consume it like a like a mm, sun just sure. getting bigger and bigger in that universe. Sure. Where, where, do you, where, right. where, where do you all feel that you sit in the acknowledgement of we got this thing going okay. when no one thought mm-hmm. it was cool. And, you know, we're, let's be honest, derogatory things were said the way of women in the early True. 80s and 90s that True. wanted to play football. Mm, absolutely. You're the quote-unquote real Gen W that got, got the thing off the ground. <laughs> the original. The, the originals. <laughs> where, where do you all feel that you sit in this history of the game? Well, back then I probably wouldn't have felt as proud as I do now, not knowing how it was going to transpire or pan out. You obviously don't. You, you, you can't see into the future that far ahead. All you were doing was something that was going against the grain. Um, not much um, enthusiasm from a lot of people who weren't. Um, well, let's put it this way. Um, a lot of people who um, didn't agree with it. Um, I, I felt proud that... Um, there are always going to be those sort of people but proud to stand the ground because I, I never questioned it. it. It wasn't like trying to prove to those disbelievers, I'll show you type thing. It was just doing it for myself that I, I could actually do it. It was a it was a wacky idea. It was a mad idea. It was out there. It was unconventional. It was out of the blue, just against the odds. There was no reason why I should have done it. Until I got this thought one day, I might have been working at the public service and probably had a bit of a moment where, you know, it was quiet, nothing much happening. What can I do next? Oh, okay. Why don't I try and put an advert in the paper um, encouraging women to form a football team? But at the time, Pete, you were doing what, just going with the idea, getting women together, then things were happening, baby steps, small steps, um, little bits here and there. It was progressing. So, Probably back then, um, I would have felt proud that you know of the achievement, but even more so now. But not making it all about just myself and one person. Of course, it was sharing and being helped out by other people who were just as important. 
who made it just as successful because without those other women, if those women didn't answer that advert, well, you know, I would have had eagle on my face and gone back under my rock and probably never come out from under that rock or who knows what would have happened, Pete. But just now, um, yeah, shivers and all of that, especially going to that first AFLW match. And even now when I go to the AFLW matches and see what a remarkable standard of play those women are, are achieving, yeah, I can just say, yeah, yeah, you did something right, even though you support Carlton. You're not bad for a Carlton <laughs> supporter, I suppose. But, yeah, obviously really proud, Pete, because it is something special, but helped um, and, and shared along the way with some other remarkable, tremendous, wonderful women as well who deserve the kudos and the, um, you know, for their efforts as well and the plaudits, um, not forgetting them. So it's an involvement with, you know, one person just can't do it, Pete. I just couldn't do it on my own. I just happened to um, kick the thing off and had the idea and started it. But with with the response of so many others, well, that made it um, so much more enjoyable and, and, and achievable. And, you know, looking back on, yes, it was primitive for paddocks, and, <laughs> but we didn't know any different, Pete. It was, we just took it in our strides. We were just doing something that, oh, yeah, this is normal for us. Yeah, we didn't know one day it was going to be, um, you know, the women were going to have a league at there. Who did? Nobody knew. It was just, we were just wanting to do our own thing, we were working, we all had jobs, we just, we, 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 we went to the footy maybe, some of us, um, followed the footy, followed the men, had brothers maybe, who played, don't know, but all different stories, all different backgrounds, but that one thread, common thread, women like me wanted to play football and were denied. But look, Pete, I, even though it was later in my life that I was able to play, I, yeah, I, I don't have any resentment or, or regrets. I was just happy to be able to have that opportunity and be well enough and healthy enough like I am now. Um, I am just very, very grateful, full of gratitude, where possibly I may not, on the other hand, I may not have been. You know, that would have been a different story. Ooh, it would have been really grumpy and, <laughs> no, not really, but you know what I'm saying, just grateful, very, very grateful for that era, that era, you know, back in 79, to be able to achieve that, very, very grateful. Um, as I said, helped and shared, shared, shared it all along the way with others. And now so very grateful that somebody else, um, that being Jill Chalmers, starting a women's masters team for women who, you know, can't play AFLW over that certain age, 30, 35 plus or whatever. And just so full of gratitude to play, first of all, with even though women might have been a lot younger than me, um, but that's irrelevant. <laughs> it doesn't matter if there were 90-year-olds, if there were 69-year-olds, 66-year-olds, 46-year-olds, 36, 30-year-olds. Um, I don't see it like that. It's, it's, it's just got, feels so natural. Um, and, and, and when I say that, I, I speak about my own Melbourne, Melbourne Lions Masters Club. It, you know, when I'm with those women, either training, you know, talking socially to them, it's just got nothing to do with, oh, 
me. She's old enough to be some of the kids' grandmother. You know, she she could be a grandmother <laughs> to these girls. It just never comes into the equation, Pete. I've never felt like that. It's always equal equal standing. You know, whether the, the, the player's 30 years younger than me, 10 years younger, and they're all younger, by the way, of course. <laughs> it, it just doesn't come into it that I'm comparing myself as an older woman with the younger one. Um, yeah, I might make a joke every now and again, oh, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a uh, spring chicken anymore and all of that. Um, but it's just a joke. But it's just, it's just um, their personalities and the, and, and the way they've accepted me um, when they didn't have to. It, it, it just feels really natural. And just to be able to share playing footy or not playing footy, just to, to share banter, and they've got things in common. It's all a common thread, isn't it? Wanting to play footy and wanting to be involved in footy for women. So the age gap, I've never, never felt it, Pete. And just just be a, a thing in, 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 if anyone did feel it, it'd be a thing in someone's mind. This feels really natural because the common thread is football, not comparing ages and, oh, this girl's 30 years younger than you, Winnie. Ooh, no, nah, no. Nah. It's never been like that at all. It's never been raised, Pete, and I don't think like that at all. Just um, accept it for what it is and I suppose accepting oneself, warts and all. <laughs> and I'm just very grateful and that word gratitude again that they've been so nice. So nice, those girls. And Terry again, Pete. They're just the <laughs> loveliest girls. I'm sorry, Pete. But, and it's the same with the AFL Masters. Honestly, Jill Chalmers and, and every other team, every other woman in those other teams. Oh, Pete, honestly, it touches my heartstrings. They are just so lovely. So, so lovely when you come across them and play footy with them or come across off the field. Just a tremendous bunch, Pete. You know, just like the old days, there were some, you know, tremendous times, lovely women that you could share these times with. And I'm so grateful um, to be able to share now, 2020, with like-minded women. Um, God, what can I say? I'm just so grateful, so happy. And um, you can see, see it, um, easily pleased. And why not? When the world is just made up of um, just just the, the best. What else can I say? It's the best of times, Pete. Happy to you know be uh, healthy um, to, to be able to continue on as a as a non-player, but still being involved. And yes, I did play in the Masters last year. Oh, Pete. Oh, gee. <laughs> talk about tears but no tears of joy and just to have that opportunity for that big white bee which means so much to me in my childhood um yeah so until now I'm just so emotional to be able to as a woman with other women playing for the big the big white bee Victoria and yes Pete that will go down in my annals of history forever forever ingrained I'll treasure that treasure that time, Pete, and it was a marvellous carnival up there in Townsville. And hopefully will be repeated next year in Perth. Looking forward to that. I yeah, wanted... It's just the best of time. Sorry, love. You go ahead. No, I just I just wanted to ask in closing, because I know you're passing a lot of gratitude to others that have helped you in the game back from 79 through to current Absolutely, day with, with Masters rules. But sure. I do want to ask you the question in closing, 
what would it mean to you if you were just to type into Google and all of a sudden your name pops up and a phrase pops up and it says, Lynn Smith, pioneer of Victorian women's football? Oh, gosh, that would stun me, actually. <laughs> no, that's my reaction. I'd just laugh, probably. No, no, seriously. Gosh, yes, I would accept that. Um, well, yes, gosh, I've got, I've got to take a few minutes to digest it, Pete. Um, you put me on the spot, kiddo. But, well, so lovely of you to say that because that's such a powerful word, pioneer, and I guess you're right. And, you know, I'm going to take that. But I'll accept that, Pete, yeah. Um, in finishing up our interview, what a way to finish with such beautiful words from a very nice man, by the way. Um, Pete, yep, and you sound like a pioneer yourself, um, if you don't mind me saying, especially with your knowledge. Your knowledge is staggering. I just grab a microphone and I gas bag, calling football and doing a weekly show. I've got I've got the easy bit from the cheap seats. You've got the hard bit, which, of course, was back in 1979. Starting oh, what we know Pete, today. I appreciate 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 your words, but you also do a valuable job, and it's not gas bagging. It's it's the quality of what you're saying. I just want to thank you so much for allowing me, not only this occasion, but to you know be able to speak so naturally and bring things back that you know I love and I can relate to, and just the memories are there. Sometimes, but not all the memories. You, you've jogged a few memories for me, and. Oh, just, just, I'm just wrapped. Just wrapped to have the opportunity and it's given me a, a very good platform and I'm very appreciative, Pete. And also, I have to take it back to our mutual friend, Kiwi, Lisa, um, because it was actually through Lisa. Um, Lisa contacted me and mentioned that you might be interested possibly to do an interview. So I really want to thank, I really want to thank um, Humbly very humble for um, good old Kiwi because she's such a great gal, that gal. Um, she, she, she is just one hell of a gal with what she's done with, um, you know, the clinics, what she's doing with Collingwood at the VWFL. So a lot of credit to that girl too, um, Lisa Kiwi. Yeah, good on you, Kiwi. Lynn, thank you very much for joining us here on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's Digital Radio Channel Carnival. Once again, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for everything you've done for women's football. You are very welcome. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. And before we wrap up the 200th episode of the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, I wanted to leave with a little editorial. And unlike the 100th episode, it's not scripted. It's all off the cuff because, well, we live in uncertain times with the coronavirus and how that's affected sports in general across the world. And right now where I live in metropolitan Melbourne, it's been announced that we're going into stage three lockdown for six weeks. And uh, the women's footy season for 2020 in this state, you can kiss it goodbye. And it's unusual for Women's Australian Football Radio, the live broadcast arm. We're looking forward to doing our seventh season of calling Victorian women's footy. That just simply won't be happening this year due to the coronavirus. And let's hope that we're back on schedule for 2021. And it's shaped our podcast in a way Normally, as you would have heard by our 2019 episodes, we might have one, maybe two featured guests, and typically the interviews will go for 20 or 30 minutes, and then we've got several five- to ten-minute reports from contributors uh, calling in from other states and around the world to let us know what the scores are, what's going on with their respective women's footy competitions. 
But that hasn't happened this year because women's footy stopped for several months. And obviously, as you've heard, we've gone into longer form interviews, not with just Lynn Smith, who was certainly worthy of her time of almost two hours, but almost two-hour interview with Scott Gowans, long-form interviews with Georgia Bevan and Nicole Callanan and Emma Grant looking over uh, their respective careers. It was great to go into that detail that other broadcasters are unable to and we're able to in this uh, podcast format. But we do certainly miss having our contributors calling in and telling us the footy that's underway. And I do want to thank those contributors, first of all, to Matthew Cox, who's uh, no longer with us at Women's Australian Rules Football Radio, simply because he's now working full-time at uh, Croc Media, SEN 1116 in Melbourne, and it's onwards and upwards. And he's actually been calling AFLW games at the start of the year. So it's great to see Coxie taking the next step in his media career. We've also got to thank the contributions of the likes of Brian Barish, who reports in from the United States and has also got his own podcast going now, the Marks and Stripes podcast. Michael Curran who reports in with what's happening in AFL Island's women's, particularly in giving us all the inside goss and the Irish women that are coming over to play AFLW and it was great to see a record amount of them this year. Thanks to Shannon Power and Mariana Graham who uh, last year gave us reports on the AFL London women's competition and before that Mitch Scully who of course is now coaching here in Melbourne with the Durban Falcons whenever they finally managed to run out there on the park due to the 2020 VFLW season being cancelled. Also to Ant Wingard from AFL Queensland uh, for his reporting last year on the QAFLW competition. To Lauren Hodson for her reporting on the AFL Sydney women's competition over the last couple of years. Lauren has been fantastic. And also Alison Schiller from the Two Crows podcast who hopefully will be back with us next week to take a look back at round seven of the Sandful uh, women's competition. To those reporters plus Coach Kiwi who gives us her AFLW tips They all give up their time to this volunteer production to make this a better podcast and to educate you, the listener, that women's football exists and existed before the AFL women's competition. It's very easy to create a podcast and attach itself to the AFLW bandwagon, but it's very important to let people know of what's happening in the broader scope that the mainstream media misses. And for you listening in, for downloading the podcast and hearing me waffle on for the last couple of minutes, I thank you sincerely. There are times when, to be honest, I look at the listener count and it's low. It's under 100 and you do wonder to yourself, particularly when coronavirus is happening and there were no footy games being played, is it worth it? Should I keep going? I'm not being paid for this. Is anyone listening? Would anyone care if I stop tomorrow? But to know that there are people out there listening and on a rare occasion I do get feedback for you thank you very much and it just gives me that little bit more energy to try and keep on going because at the end of the day again with all the contributors thank you um, but the actual production side of it and organizing interviews and all of that is done by myself it's done in a home studio setup and um, again, we just do it for the love of the game. Uh, like Coxie, I'd like to get to AFLW level and cool football there. But until that day, we keep promoting women's football outside AFLW and, of course, the stars of AFLW. 
Anyway, that's it. You've heard me gas bag enough. Thank you very much for listening through 200 episodes. We hope to be back with episode 201 next Wednesday night, 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. And also this podcast is available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app, WARFradio.com or just Google Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast and look for us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just put slash WARF radio. Until then, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks so much for your company and it's bye for now.